Hey, movie lovers. Liam here from Rough Cut Fan Club. Michael asked me to record a quick message for you all about who we are and our latest charity drop. So, who is Rough Cut? Well, we're a collective that cultivates fan culture for cult and art cinema. We do that through releasing shirts, posters, and zines. Our shirts are released as double feature drops representing some of our favorite movies. Some very well known, others less widely explored. And our focus is on great design and trying to foster some sense of community. Uh, Along those lines, we've done a number of designs that benefited specific causes. We designed something that thematically fit with something that was going on in the world. And we donate all proceeds from that drop to organizations that were on the ground trying to help people and directly affect issues. In light of the brutal murder of George Floyd and the struggles across the country against police brutality, uh, we have released a design for Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, a classic, uh, possibly one of the first films in the black exploitation genre, and uh, undoubtedly an angry cry against an unjust system. Proceeds from this shirt will be donated to various bail funds uh, across the country. Originally, we were going to donate exclusively to the Minnesota Freedom Fund. However, they recently announced that they've been overwhelmed with donations and encouraged folks to find other organizations to donate to. And considering uh, arrests around the country now are topping about 5,000, there's probably a lot of people who need help. Check us out at roughcutshirts.com. Tell a friend. Find us on Instagram. Uh, really, you know, whatever you can do to support. And thanks, Michael, for having us featured on the show. It's funny, though, like this little VHS corner uh, came in handy uh, yesterday. So I've been I've I've been reading it for a while, but I, um, I you know, I, I read the book Save the Cat very recently. Okay. I think I've read through it twice at this point. But I uh, so I read, read Save the Cat and me and my buddy Kyle, we're, we're writing our own respective screenplays, but we're doing weekly meetups to kind of talk about where we are oh, awesome. uh, in the beat sheet because we I realized it's like. It's so hard to be like, here's 25 pages I've read. What do you think? Where it's like, if we just get the entire beat sheet planned ahead of time, we know beginning, middle, end, all the stuff. We can like, it's so much easier to talk about story points. And then, you know, so we've been doing that. And uh, at one point, um, I have I I have to, um, I'm, I'm writing, a, the slasher film I sent you, I'm yes, doing. I, uh, I was not able to read. I apologize. It's okay. The it's okay. kids were fucking nuts the back half of the week. <laughs> they were they were indescribably nuts. <laughs> Sorry. Indescribably nuts. No, it's fine. It's it's a slow burn slasher film. You know, I want I, my whole point is I wanted to like dissect some of the things that everyone's come to know about slasher films where it's like, oh, every 10 minutes there's a kill and so on and so forth and all this other bullshit. Um, so it's very back half focused. Like my original draft of the script, there's not a death until the third act, okay. which is really late. 
Um, and then I do a protagonist sh- uh, switch uh, in the third act. Nice. <laughs> and it's very like third act heavy. And like looking at it, it's like, you know what? This probably is not going to read very well. And like after talking about it, we both... Because, like, I also don't have a whole lot of characters to kill off, so I can't, it's not really a body count film. But I, we were talking, it's like, well, Halloween had, like, four character, three or four characters that actually died. And they're, they're still thrilling. It's like, so we looked at it, it's like, well, you know, according to Blake Snyder's guide of, like, you know, your opening image, your break in Act 2, your midpoint, all this other shit. It's like, well, where's the first kill in Halloween? Uh, it's at the midpoint of the film. It's when Annie gets t- killed inside of the, the car. Um... And Kyle, my buddy Kyle's like, is that really at the midpoint of the film? That, uh, uh, that can't be at, at the middle. I was like, oh, we're going to find out. So I pull out my Media Blasters VHS tape of Halloween. And I, I turn the screen so you can see it like this. And we fast forward in it. And that sequence begins at the 50-minute mark. Nice. Well, it's, and it's an hour and a half film. I know so. it's not a slasher film, but we discussed this in uh, Amityville Horror episode nobody dies no like, no no one dies in that film not even it's the just dog dread at inducing. least in, no you know, and in the remake the dog dies but um yeah that i don't think there has to be a direct correlation between yeah like but like so what i've decided is like well halloween is still kind of a slow burn it kind of like t- you know tickles your fancy a little bit like oh someone could someone can die and then it kind of takes its time to get to everyone else. And I thought, well, shit, if it works for Halloween, I'm just going to rip off Halloween and put my first death in the mid. Because, like, originally I killed off a side character that wasn't really needed, but it just felt like I was killing a character to kill a character. Right. Um, so I was like, you know, I should take out one of the main group. And I'm going to do it at the midpoint. And then, like, I'm also, like, looking at it. It's like, when do I kill off my main character? You know, it needs to happen before I leave Act 2. And I'm just, it's figuring out all this shit. And it's so much more, I never used to do, I never used to do beat sheets. I never used to do do structure, like, any of, like, this pre-planning <laughs> stuff. I used to just, like, I, it was very much like, I'm just going to sit down and write and see where it takes me. (laughs) And now I sit there and be like, I don't know where this is going. So I was like, oh, maybe I should be, like, planning out ahead of time. Uh, Saito has another, like, non-conventional pacing. Yeah. It has a protagonist switch. Evil Dead also. If if you think about it, Evil Dead technically has a protagonist shift. The first Evil Dead, no one, Ash is not really the main character. Like, we look back on that film and we watch him because it's Bruce Campbell. But if you watch that film, the character of Scotty, who's driving the car, is far more main character-ish than Ash. Ash spends half the movie under a bookshelf. In, in Every time he does something, he gets scared and a bookshelf falls over. (laughs) The the most generous interpretation would... In Ash's favor, would say at best it's an ensemble piece yeah, where yeah. all four of them are kind of equally weighted. And then what I've been uh, digging on lately is um, what you've been digging on, Nick. I if I did sit down and write, I think the direction that I'd go is Empire Records, but for a group of D and D nerds. And like I love that idea because like well I've, I just rewatched Empire Records the other day I saw that <laughs> and I just kept thinking it's like man there's like so much you can just you know I don't want to say it this way but like you could essentially just steal that exact plot beat for beat maybe cut out Rex Manning or whatever and <laughs> how just... dare you. <laughs> 
and just make and just make it a, like so you can put this in a video store you can put this in a grocery yeah. store you can put this in a movie theater you can make it D D nerds you can board games it's like this and one thing i've been noticing too is like the funny thing about learning plot structure is one simultaneously how much you know about plot structure without even realizing yeah. it and then two how little you know about plot structure. <laughs> <laughs> like it's funny to me like i look at films it's like i'm like is like what's use no country for old men as an example i used to be like oh no country for old men is so like its own thing it doesn't it, it does its own rules and i rewatched it like keeping in mind like this beat sheet that black <laughs> blake snyder device and i was like oh no it hits it hits, oh, hits every single one it's a, exactly where they're it's supposed every to be. film every man yeah and i was like oh okay so you can have the all the every film in the world could not all of them but like they can hit the same beats and still be done very differently well yeah it, it's freeing to see something when you realize how formulated it is but also at the same time recognize mm-hmm. how totally unique it is. It doesn't have to be a slave to conformity just because it conforms to yeah. something. Like it can be it, so many times, you know, it, and this is in in my opinion, like this this hangover of high school mentality of like, oh, that's like everything else, therefore I shouldn't or so many people like it, so I shouldn't like it. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, well, mm-hmm. well, if there's a formula to it, then it's not original, man. It's like, that's, yeah. it, it, originality is not the end, like, originality doesn't equal quality. It, 100%. It might, or, you know, it, that's not to say that something original can't be really great. It can, obviously. Yeah. And when like we see something... Pulp Fiction, for example. Pulp Fiction does not follow any of these rules. Wh- like it... When we see something that we haven't seen before, it excites us by nature. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Mm-hmm. But in terms of artistry, you know, of, of mm-hmm. developing, um, you find... You, you need to find... Learn the rules. Find yeah. the ones that you like. Find the ones yeah. that you don't like. Play around with some of those rules. You know, try breaking mm-hmm. it. See. But then look at it critically when i broke that rule what actually happened like was it better was does it have any different in in order to set new rules for the next generation like that's what that shit's all about 100 percent. and like actually i i think of um like it's like playing guitar when i was learning to play guitar it's like well it's like well i'd tell my guitar well it's easier to play this way it's like yeah but that's not the right way and if you learn to play the guitar wrong you're learning like you need to learn the right way before you can learn the wrong way and then like one of the screenwriting podcasts i listen to they always say it's like we're not saying you can't break these rules just know that there are consequent there could be consequences by doing so try try to figure out what the purpose of those rules are so then you know when you mm -hmm. should break them and when you shouldn't yeah, it's funny. Like when I was reading through the book, and he was talking about like within the first five pages, maybe five to eight, you you need to have your theme stated. And I was like, "What does he mean by that?" And he's like, he's, and he said, usually it's like it's one character explicitly stating the theme to another character." And I'm thinking like, that can't be true. <laughs> You can't just have a character say the theme. And I was watching Black Panther the other day, and within the first like ten Shit. minutes, he 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 like his sister goes, "Well, how are those those b- explosive beads I gave you?" He's like, "Oh, they're great." And she takes them, 
And he goes, they're great. What are you doing? He's like, just because they work doesn't mean they can't be better. I'm like, oh, fuck. There's the theme. <laughs> she just said God it to him. It. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then that comes down to, like, clever writing. Like, you can... Yeah, you, yeah. At, <laughs> she didn't, like, turn to the camera and be like, here's the theme. <laughs> right. Um, it almost felt like that because I was looking what, for once it. you but... know it. Well, it's... And, you know, let's go to exposition. I've been yeah. guilty of saying this myself and everybody... Exposition is bad. Exposition is bad. But films need exposition. Like, they yeah. do. They just do. So, so it's really not that exposition is bad. Poorly executed exposition is bad. And it's easy to do exposition poorly. Like that's really, oh, and, yeah. And, and doing exposition really in a clever, smooth, seamless way is tricky. And you need to kind of... Again, you need to understand it. Exposition isn't inherently bad. You just need to anchor it within the story so that it feels like a part of the story you're watching versus Mm -hmm. an explanation to the audience. And as long as you can accomplish that, then it's great. He's got his he's got his own rules and like his rules or guidelines or like tips for screenwriting and one of them is called the Pope in the Pool, because he said he was he was he he read a screenplay by, from a friend of his about like this assassination temp on the Pope or some shit and he said you know like there's a scene of exposition explaining the entire plot because it was such a dense film you kind of had to but he it the scene took place in the private swimming pool of the Vatican and the Pope is swimming laps. And it's like the audience is thinking, wait, the Vatican has a pool. The Pope has a swimsuit. He's swimming. And like they're delivering all this all this, this exposition to you. But since something more interesting is happening on screen, you don't even realize it's being totally. told to you. So it's it's hiding the exposition. Yep. But this has been Nick and, Mike, Nick and Michael's screenwriting talk. <laughs> I, I I say we wrap the episode. I do this all the time. <laughs> After our preamble, I'm like, well, great talk, Michael. We'll see you next episode. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if we can work in some of this good conversation into the movie. Anything else you want to talk about, Nick, before we talk about the topic at hand? No, I think we'll uh, finally dive into the topic at hand. Okay. Uh, so you, did, you didn't get a chance to rewatch to, to, uh, any of the Ghostbusters films. Now, I have seen them probably 500 times. So... Take a sip of coffee for the working man. Well, the furloughed man. <laughs> still working. Yeah, still working. Okay. <clears throat> la 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 la. Gotta get, gotta get into character. Gotta get into character, Nick. And I'm also just making sure my levels don't blow up. podcast actually discusses movies be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements endings surprise twists unexpected cameos and all manner of spoilers if this doesn't appeal to you why listen to a movie podcast without further ado please enjoy our feature presentation the shameless picture show Welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and with me, as always, is a man who proudly collects spores, molds, and fungus. Nicholas Richards. <laughs> Nicholas Richards. Out of all the lines, that was the one I, I felt like I needed to go with. Nice. 
I, real quick before we talk about the movie though I, I i was looking for quotes from the movie and like mtv or something wrote like an article it's like the 103 best lines from ghostbusters like okay you guys are fucking stretching at this point <laughs> 103 best how many are cut out from that list then at that point i i, I don't know i stand by it that seemed number. excessive <laughs> it, it seemed excessive to me when every Anyways. line is amazing and quotable <laughs> oh we're gonna butt heads on this one <laughs> On today's episode of the podcast, we'll be discussing a film that's been on my shame list since I was a wee lad. A film I've seen bits and pieces of on television, but never watched the whole thing. Today, we're discussing Ivan Reitman's supernatural comedy, Ghostbusters. Yes. Three scientists, Venkman, Stance, and Spengler, are scientists at Columbia University. But despite being men of science and thought... They have this growing fascination with the world of the paranormal. Well, good for them, as the New York City Library has had a manifestation, and they go and investigate and realize that all of their theories are correct. Issue is, the Dean of Columbia doesn't agree and fires them on the spot. Down on their luck, they hold on to their beliefs and decide to go pro and make ghost researching their full-time gig. After a rush of success busting ghosts, they get a call from a woman named Dana who believes her apartment is being haunted. Thankfully, her apartment is not haunted, but it's much worse. As we find out, Dana's apartment is actually the gate between two worlds, and the demigod Gozer the Gozerian is desperately trying to escape. Can the Ghostbusters and their newly hired helping hand, Winston Zeddemore, stop Gozer before New York is destroyed? Ghostbusters was originally written as a way for star and screenwriter Dan Aykroyd to explore his fascination with parapsychology, which his father has written many books on. He originally wanted a comedy that starred himself, John Belushi, and Eddie Murphy. However, when the film would would change after the passing of Belushi and the addition of director Ivan Reitman. Ghostbusters would go on to become one of the most financially successful films, despite its tight production schedule and its concept because most studios did not think a special effects heavy comedy could ever succeed. The film would go on to much critical praise, two Oscar nominations, millions of fans, cartoons, comics, a sequel, and a remake, which we'll also be talking about a little bit. The film was directed by Ivan Reitman with a script by Dan Aykroyd. The film also features realist cinematography by Laszlo Kovacs and a score by Elmer Bernstein. It stars Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Ernie Hudson, Rick Moranis, and... Sigourney Weaver, who I think at this point is two weeks in a row. Yeah, yes. We have a lot of connections to earlier episodes with this one. And I think we're just getting to the point where a lot of what we talk about, we're able to, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon this to like four other episodes that we've done. 100%. So let's roll the trailer. Trailer! Ghosts. Hello, Ghostbusters. They're real. You do? You have? They're here. Ghostbusters. Hey, anybody see a ghost? They catch the ghost that won't stay dead. They're armed. They're dangerous. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Right, that's bad. 
Okay. All right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. They're professionals. Oh, I'm the chairman of the largest paranormal removal company in America. Did you see it? They're all that stands between you and the end of the world. The city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the sky. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Your girlfriend lives in the corner penthouse of Spook Central. You want this body? Is this a trick question? <laughs> Stick. Hold. Heat up. Smoke it. Make them hard. Ready. Ghostbusters. Starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis. Coming to save the world. Ghostbusters. We came, we saw, we kicked it. Ooh. Who are you gonna call? Alright, now the trailers. <laughs> so, Nick, normally when we do this show, yep. we whoever's move who's ever shameless the movie is on. Yep. That person just des- describes how they feel. I want to change that ever so slightly to this week. I last week you had said something very interesting to me. I did. Um you said you told me that while uh, thinking about your top ten of all time, or mm, top, five, top five actually, yeah. you had decided you had wondered why Ghostbusters was not on it, yeah. and then you decided, "Fuck it, Ghostbusters is going to be on my it's top." It's going five. back on. I want to know. I want. I'm just curious because uh, I've known a lot of people who are Ghostbusters fans, but I I want to ask you, someone who can hopefully, uh, in, you know, explain their feelings a little bit more thoroughly than other people I know. Why this film means so much to you? Why it's top five worthy? And you know, give me a little bit. Give me a little bit inside of your head. I because I don't. I, I don't want you to have an upward battle this entire time. <laughs> I worry I'm going. I'm burying the lead here. <laughs> where I'm. I, I worry that I'm going to disappoint you with my lack of uh, concisity. Yeah, I'll stick with that. <laughs> we live in concise city. <laughs> Where are you from? I I love that that trilogy that ends with Escape from Concise City. Well, there was Escape from L.A., Escape from New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it works. It's always funniest when you have to explain the joke. No, I got it. I just there was a delay. I was laughing. There was a delay. I appreciate that. Okay. Damn Skype. Never use Skype for your stand-up comedy routines. Okay, why why do I love Ghostbusters so much? Um, is it the Ghost or is it the Busters? Uh, yes, originally called Ghost Smashers, I think. Uh, I think it was actually like Ghost Busters. Wait, no, not Ghostbusters. No, there was it was something very similar to that. It was was it the Ghost Chaser? Ghost Breakers. Okay, there we go. Ghost Breakers, which is, is still pretty terrible. Yep um okay so first off i think this particular brand of comedy speaks to me um okay and that really showed when i was going through all of their casting changes in the process and Mm -hmm. and actors and comedians that i really enjoy and really respect every time i considered them in a role i was like "Ooh, that would be a wrong move for this movie 
Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, Belushi. Um, it's like... Which I'm not a huge fan of. Um, wrong uh, for this. Um, John Candy in Rick Moranis' yeah. role. I love John Candy. I don't want John Candy in Ghostbusters. Um, um, Eddie Murphy in place of Winston. And I know a lot of people get down on Winston and I have some uh, writing issues with how he was integrated. Um, however, mm-hmm. his I, I think he is a really important counterbalance to some of what happens. Like where you have these three scientists who are blindly passionate about ghost busting and then one guy that's there for the paycheck mm-hmm. who, who sure i'll swipe up you know but as long as i'm getting paid well and you know i got i got a benefits package coming to me sounds great <laughs> i think mm-hmm. he's an important counterpoint to those other three characters and if that had gone more comedic with somebody like eddie murphy i wouldn't have liked this film as much so some of what I love about Ghostbusters is this particular, the chemistry between these specific actors. And that okay. extends out beyond just the main three scientists. Um, Annie Potts, Rick Moranis, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, Sigourney Weaver. Um, uh, the, I can't think of the actor's name, but um, the, the EPA... Uh, William Atherton. Okay. There's something really magical to me about this particular combination of actors. So that's one thing. Another is the, and and really this is going to be two different things, but this ghost busting concept. Mm Mm-hmm. But just as important is how they approached it. And I know how they approached it changed a lot. Um, uh, Dan, We discussed in the Blues Brothers episode about Dan Aykroyd's enormous original script. Comedically long. And he did it again with this, where I love how often that's just a trend with him. It, like, it was a learned over, structure, Aykroyd. Over 500 pages, the first draft of, of this film. Insanity. Insanity. Which is great. You know, as as a writer, like, I appreciate that he had that much information to, like, you know, you want that kind of passion where your ideas spring more ideas. uh, Apparently, originally, it was supposed to be in space, too. And and in the future, like, there was a lot of, like, time travel involved. Anyway. God damn it, (laughs) Akron. As somebody who doesn't. I, I don't believe in the paranormal. Um, I, I don't believe in ghosts. I do believe. I do believe. Um, and I don't have a particular... I, I, I enjoy ghost stories, but I also don't have a particular fascination with them. But something about this approach to ghost yeah. stories really, really fascinates me. Um, okay. And and some of it might be I I am a admitted you know I have a collector personality, uh, and mm-hmm. it might be the Pokemon Go aspect of like catching the ghosts. <laughs> that might be it, but I I I don't think it is. 
Um, I think it's really clever, the approach of this, like, of, of taking this very wild idea that has a very clear format up until this point, the ghost story, right? And not no movie has treated, that I'm aware of, tr has treated the, the idea of ghosts and the paranormal in this way, this very, like, blue-collar, self-employed, like, it. it's this, like, well, let's, let's start up a business and mm -hmm. the challenges of having limited funds and taking out a third mortgage on your house in order to buy a dilapidated, you know, building and a car that they have to push in. And like so much of the movie is them trying to, you know, the last time that they get Chinese food because they're out of petty cash and that approach to it, I find mm -hmm. so funny in a way that didn't really tell any jokes. And that ties back into the that comedic approach that I really enjoy from the film. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, can I intellectually identify why this movie deserves to be in my top five? No, I can't. Not not without like sitting down and writing a thesis, which I could very well. I feel fail like you've at. done a pretty decent job. But though. what I can say definitively is. This film is the kind of movie magic that makes movies magical to, for me. So now, you tell me why it didn't live up to that standard for you. <laughs> you defend yourself! <laughs> I guess let me just say is I, I found myself nodding quite a bit when you're talking because I, I can get where you're coming from completely. And I love the concept of Ghostbusters. Where, where had I, you know, without me even having seen the original movie, like I played the video game on the PlayStation Two, and I liked the video game because I liked the concept of like this tangible idea of catching ghosts. I remember watching Extreme Ghostbusters as a kid and thinking those characters were super fucking cool. <laughs> um, my, what I did not resonate with is. I sat there after watching the movie and just thinking, this is the movie that people freak the fuck out over about being remade. <laughs> and then also sat there thinking, it's like everyone I knew like who loves Ghostbusters is quoting Bill Murray and thinks he's so cool. He's a fucking creepy, terrible character who gets the girl in the end, despite the fact that he's borderline rapey. I totally uh, agree with that, by the way. <laughs> Winston, which we've talked about a little bit, got, had nothing to do had nothing to do and i know in the original script he was supposed to come in sooner but oh we got bill murray we got to cut out your part so we can have bill let bill murray talk more oh you mean the least likable character in the movie we're gonna give him more lines i just don't i don't feel like dan Aykroyd and harold ramus had a whole lot to do despite the fact that they all had fantastic chemistry with each other and i just i feel like from a structure standpoint there was these big fucking leaps that like i just i remember one of the complaints i remember hearing real quick it, it ties back into the original ghost Busters. Someone complained that in the remake, they're like, oh, they, of course they had to, uh, uh, they, they, they had a long drawn out scene of them explaining how they built their proton packs. Yeah, because we have no idea how the fuck anyone got their equipment in the original film. They just have it and they know how to use it. Like, I, I just, I, I can, I can see, I saw, I sat there and saw why people would gravitate towards this movie and especially if you saw it at a young age, I can I can see this movie being very formative. But watching it as an adult, I just I, I I you know me, Nick. I do not like saying this. I think the movie's extremely overrated. Nice. 
<laughs> that's like I, I hate saying that because like that's not the type of person I, I am. My my biggest the, the narrative structure is the biggest thing for me. Uh Winston just kind of coming in and not having a whole lot to do in the rest of the film, and some of his dialogue still feeling like it was written from the part of the script where he was included more. <laughs> right. Um and then my biggest thing is it's like I I think it's easy to argue that Bill Murray is the lead character in this film and I hate him. <laughs> I hate him in this film. And I have theories on to why would, he doesn't work in this film where he works in other films. So would you say that it's more and I, and I think I already implied your answer but I'd like you to uh elaborate mm-hmm. on it. Is it the character or is it Bill Murray's performance? I think it's a little bit of both, and I and like and so Bill Murray plays a very similar character in a lot of movies. I think it's argue, it's easy to argue yeah, that. Yeah, Like Scrooge is one of my all time favorite movies, and he's a very similar type of character. <clears throat> where it doesn't, where I think it's it comes to the character more so than Bill Murray's performance of it, because Bill Murray plays it like Bill Murray. You know, he's always good in that role. He didn't learn anything. Yeah. His his scuzziness is rewarded in the end. Right. And that just strikes me the wrong way. It's like here we have this main character who at the beginning of the film is the exact same person he is at the end of the film. Um and once again we talk I don't know how much of it's going to stay in the episode but at the beginning of the episode we talked we had we talked about like screenwriting and then, you know, save the cat and those <laughs> things. And the title save the cat comes from a theory on screenwriting where if you're going to have a cool character with, you know, with um, some edge to him and shit like that, he needs a save the cat moment where we feel for him. And, you know, it's it's a moment where, oh, when you're you're trying to save your life, you 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 save the the innocent animal in the in the scene. And, you know, that shows that, oh, you do have a heart. Amityville Horror. The yeah, original. He didn't really. He saved the dog. Even Alien. Yeah. Alien. He, she saved the cat yeah. in the end. <laughs> Bill Murray didn't have that. Yeah, like he, he did a very little bit, like when Dana was uh, uh, possessed by Zool, but it still came off really creepy. Yeah, I and oh, and I have just a little bit more to yep. say, real quick. And then I and I, me, we were all sitting there. Me and my wife and her friend Emma were sitting there wondering. It's like, was this an intentional choice or was this just comedy in the eighties? Because comedy in the eighties was very different than it is now. And, um, you know, it's where I'm also viewing it from a lens of 2020 where things are, you know, where the way that men and women interact is completely different. Um, but like, and we're like, is this, is his scuzziness, is his terribleness supposed to be witty, supposed to be charming? And is it intentional or is it just Bill Murray playing, doing the Bill Murray shtick? But then Dana has that line, you remind me of a game show host. It's like, oh, no, his, his scuzziness is intentional. Right. And it doesn't pay off. Please let me. If something's going to happen here, I want it to happen to me first. The closet. I hate this. I like to torture him. That's right, boys. It's Dr. Venkman. A lot of space. 
Just you? Yes. Good. What is that thing you're doing? It's technical. It's one of our little toys. I see. That's the bedroom, but nothing ever happened in there. What a crime. You know, you don't act like a scientist. They're usually pretty stiff. You're more like a game show host. This is reminding me a lot of our Vince Vaughn conversations that we've had on <clears throat> in multiple episodes. And um, I'll, I'll say I don't disagree with you, and I think you're right that and it's it's really fascinating. I think taking my like I grew up with it lens versus your looking at it as a filmmaker from. Yeah. Just and like fully... I wanted to love it because the concept is so cool. Yeah. Um, I I suspect that I filter that out more easily because I don't disagree with anything that you're saying about that character. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that Vince Vaughn rubs me wrong in a lot of these, mm-hmm. like it's that that toxic masculinity that's rewarded at the end and. It, it's not a movie about, hey, maybe don't be like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Don't be an asshole. And when I think about Ghostbusters, even though I've watched it in 2020, like I've watched them recently and enjoyed them at the same level that I did back then, um, I filter it out. In, in the same way that I, that I filtered out, um, we were talking about, uh, when we were talking about Miracle on 34th Street, and mm-hmm. and you pose to me the question, do you believe that guy's Santa Claus or not? And I'm like, well, yeah, of course he is. Because that's what I believed when I first saw it. So yeah. I totally filtered out that that was even, like, an element of the film. Um, mm-hmm. Does that change my love for the movie of Ghostbusters? No. I still love it because I still get excited about it. Yeah. Is that a problem? Absolutely. And- um, and and seeing it for the it, had I seen it for the first time in 2020, I bet you my reaction would be much closer to yours. In the same way that I viewed uh, Trub- Big Trouble in Little China. Yes, and actually, I was gonna I was gonna mention that. You so grew, finish your thought. You now. grew up with that, and you were so excited to share that with me because of how wonderful that movie is. And when I put it in as as somebody and a, a grown ass man in this generation, I went, "Wow, this is really racially problematic." Yeah, and it's like, and like, and the biggest thing I want to say, especially after my rant, I got a little fired. I got a little spicy there towards Bill Murray. I, I, uh, I'm glad you did. Don't filter the spice. <laughs> but I, I will say, and I, I don't, I, I don't question anyone liking this film i don't like you're a bad person for liking this i don't i don't believe in cancel culture where you you know something should just be canceled and we should pretend like it doesn't exist love this movie if you truly do um and fuck nostalgia is a hell of a drug man because you see things like those movies i probably absolutely love that are either not as good as i remember them being or more problematic like big trouble in little china is is a perfect fucking example (laughs) Um, and, 
and that's that's part of the game. Uh, and I, I just I, I always and sometimes I do this better than others. And I'm a flawed human being. <laughs> we are all this way. I remember um, I when I was in film school, I was really inspired by the work of John Hughes because I just I thought his writing was really sharp. And I had a friend of mine who who was really hating on the the very overtly rapey aspects of Sixteen Candles. And I had not thought of it in that way. Sure, right. And I, I went back and rewatched it. I was like, oh, shit. She's absolutely correct. Right. And then I was like, well, does that mean I can't like John Hughes? You know, I went through, like, this fucking moral debate. And she's like, no, no one's saying that you can't like him as a work, as a filmmaker. No one says you can't be an inspiration to you. But you also can't be delusional and pretend like these things don't exist. Right. Yeah, and for me, that's my biggest thing. Like anything you love, especially if it's something if it's something problematic, love it if you truly do. But like I've, you know, I've had the similar conversations since I've watched Ghostbusters with people who are like, "Well, fuck you, it's Ghostbusters, just like it." <laughs> like, like oh, it was, you know, or people like it's it's, and that's fine. But at the same time, you can't pretend like these issues don't don't exist. Like, yeah. I, I just think of, like, I just think back to season two of Stranger Things, and they're all, you know, they all, they're all they all being Ghostbusters, and they're arguing who are arguing over who wants to be Venkman. And it's like, I, I, I don't want to be Venkman. <laughs> Fuck Venkman. I'll be Egon. <laughs> right. Like, why are you guys fighting over being the, the perviest character in the movie? <laughs> but then at the same time, it's like, I can, you know, I, Bill Murray's got this casual cool about him. He just, you know, the scene where he meets Dana outside of the, of the, um, the, her, the, her orchestra and he's just doing that weird fucking dance. I can, I can see why kids like There's, him. He's, he's the cool clown. There, yeah. It's, it's, I, I know I've already said it, but it, I think it's the, the Bill Murray character is mm-hmm. really similar to the Vince Vaughn character and mm-hmm. and you there are it is problematic and you can't deny that there's charisma behind it mm-hmm. which in no way excuses the other behavior yeah, we said the devil would be handsome right like it <laughs> it is there's there's i it, I've rattled you. Holy shit. I'm, I'm trying not to turn this into a political conversation because I don't think this is the platform, but it's just reminding me of conversations I've had recently in the in the world of politics. If, if it just happens, if it's, it gets too spicy, we'll okay. cut it out. Okay. Um, I believe that that Donald Trump got elected primarily... In, in a broad, more abstract way, for the same reasons that Barack Obama did. Interesting. Charisma. Mm. Because that is what it, it, Bill Murray, Vince Vaughn, <clears throat> you cannot argue that those characters are dicks. Yeah. And you're still drawn to it for. To, for 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 a certain reason and it's not just men and that is and that's problematic right Mm -hmm. it's when those two things overlap that it's really shitty because charisma we all love charisma we all love people with charisma yeah and we all hate dicks (laughs) dicks dicks are horrible yeah i mean the personality you can love the the 
You can remember if, you, if like, you want. Yeah. When you have a charismatic dick, <laughs> then it's really problematic. And mm-hmm. taking the, you know, going back to that weird political tangent, I'll wrap that up. I think people were drawn to him for his charisma. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, I'm going to fix your problems. And they believed yeah. them because he was charismatic. And he was uh, Barack Obama charismatic mm-hmm. and and i think he they both won over those middle ground people because because of the charisma hardcore yeah. democrats are always going to vote for democrats hardcore republicans are always going to vote for republicans what wins over the middle is the charisma and that is a really long obnoxious way of like coming back to the problems with this bill murray character and several bill mm-hmm. murray characters is you you're drawn to the charisma and are you able to filter out in my case or 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 identify what the problem is how much of that spills over into the rest of the film where do you as in in a what does one once you see it because i didn't see it at first mm-hmm. um i i'll be interested to watch it again having had this conversation with you and see what i think about it going forward i don't think that it's it's not right once you i once you realize that's there to just ignore it and go mm-hmm. and pretend that it doesn't exist but also you know there's that a conversation that we've been our society has been having a lot in the last couple of years with the me too movement and things. Is it, you know, to what degree does the, the sins of the artist affect the art that they create? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's no right answer for that. That's still something that no. we're, that we're yeah. discovering. And, some, and hopefully the answer is just, we'll all be less horrible going forward. <laughs> that yeah. That's the goal. <laughs> And it's something that's obviously been on my mind because, like, so we tried doing this episode originally, I want to say at the end of season two, maybe begin of season three, is before uh, you took a little hiatus from the show. Um, we were going to do this, and I remember I got maybe 30 minutes in or something to it, and, like, I went back to my notes from that watch. Oh, nice. And I had one thing circled. Venkman, question. <laughs> So it's like even then I was noticing it's like because like I that that entry that introductory scene with him where he's you know shocking the guy and rewarding the beautiful girl like I just don't think is a very appealing opening scene especially in the end when he didn't learn anything about being a dick right I don't know <clears throat> and like I said there's gonna be people who are gonna be raging in their car listening to this and be like come on it's Ghostbusters and, and that's fine go and enjoy your Ghostbusters but I just want to give you something different to think about yeah. and just like I when we talked about Fred Claus um, the reason that movie worked for me is because in the end Fred learned something he, he learned that he can he can not care and be aloof and be this class clown dick but there's consequences yeah and we also said in that conversation that we felt that it was important that they showed why he ended up that way. Mm-hmm. So then it's in part a character study of it's, it's not just um, putting those characteristics on a character and saying, look how cool this person is. It was mm-hmm. saying, 
that is a problem and but this is totally why he got there mm-hmm. and yeah. and then yeah. he still had to overcome it yeah because like I, I was even thinking about i was trying to just ignore the 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 dickishness of venkman and just trying to like okay what is his character bringing to the party and um all i can think is charisma because he's a scientist but like they kind of poke fun at him that his that they even the school didn't really buy a lot of his theories that <laughs> right. he's a scientist in that he finished school i trust you're moving us to better quarters on campus no you're being moved off campus the board of regents has decided to terminate your grant you are to vacate these premises immediately this is preposterous i demand an explanation fine this university will no longer continue any funding of any kind for your group's activities but the kids love us dr we believe that the purpose of science is to serve mankind. You, however, seem to regard science as some kind of dodge or hustle. Your theories are the worst kind of popular tripe, your methods are sloppy, and your conclusions are highly questionable. You are a poor scientist, Dr. Venkman. So I remember reading somewhere, maybe I was watching the movies that made us uh, episode on Ghostbusters, and they said that, you know, well, Venkman's whole, you know, he he's the skeptic. And I was like, that's very that's a very loose connection yeah to say that he's the skeptic you know because even when he does see ghosts yeah he maybe he maybe his reaction a little bit is like oh shit this is real but for the most part he's still cracking jokes and he he, he performs it very much it's like eh, it's a ghost what are you gonna do yeah. about it it's like to say that he's the skeptic who didn't quite believe and it took that moment of seeing the ghost to make him believe i don't buy that I, I, honestly, I will say the 2016 Ghostbusters did a better job at that. Okay. Um. And then, like I said, I don't, I don't want to make this just to be like you know Bill Murray's the devil in this movie type <laughs> conversation because that's not it. I just feel like we got so much Bill Murray in this film that we got. I, I, I don't didn't really feel a big connection to to Dan Aykroyd or Harold Ramis's characters because they didn't have as much to do. Um, and I feel like. I feel like Bill Murray's type of character works as the second in a film, as like the the best friend to the main character. Yeah. And like I feel like you know you could have had a very similar story, but if we would have say focused more on on Ray and say if Ray got the girl in the end and did all that, and Bill Murray's just kind of in the background being Bill Murray and shit, I feel like it wouldn't have bothered me as much as it did. Well, and, um, and then, you know, it, like I said, I've said it a couple of times, Winston's just brought in and it's like, you, he's not needed in this film. I you made a case to why you think he is, but I think, I don't think that's a very good reason. I think had he been brought in earlier, it would have been stronger. 100%, um, 100%. But I would not have enjoyed this film as much if it was just the three of them. I also find it interesting that from your perspective, it's um, that Bill Murray or Venkman is the lead, where I've always seen it as an ensemble, like that the three of them share uh, the lead equally. And I'm and I'm not saying that's true, because I recognize that a lot of my feelings on this film are from, you know, when I was eight. <laughs> versus mm-hmm. watching it as a writer now um 
So you could be very much right about that, but the, I've never looked at it through that lens. For me, it's always been the ensemble of the three of them. Uh, and then in the second film, if I think about it as a franchise, uh, an ensemble as the four of them. Because I watched a lot of uh, the real Ghostbusters, a little bit of the mm-hmm. extreme Ghostbusters. I've read the comics. Um, yeah. Uh, so on the, fr- the franchise as a whole, I'm thinking about it as the four of them. Has an ensemble. Yeah, and, and, and I feel like if they would have just given Bill Murray one or two fewer scenes and, say, put Egon or Ray or someone else in some of those other scenes, it might have come across that way. Yeah. For me. For I'd, me. I'd be really... Because you said you did not watch Ghostbusters 2, correct? No, mainly because... So, I watched, like I said, I watched it with two other people, and... Uh, they had such a bad time watching the ghost, first Ghostbusters. They're like, yeah, no, we have no interest in seeing these characters again. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm going to watch it at some point because I'm legitimately curious. And I feel like I've seen more of Ghostbusters 2 growing up than I did see of Ghostbusters 1. And I also have a theory. If everyone and their mother absolutely adores Ghostbusters, the first Ghostbusters, all the a lot of the Ghostbusters fans who I've talked to, like they, they really don't like Ghostbusters 2. Maybe that means I'll like it more because they don't like it. I, um, it will not make you feel better about Vankman. I'll say that right now. Like, okay. He, okay. he doesn't get some crazy redemption story in two. Um, and maybe a little bit with the kid. Um, but maybe he, a little bit with the kid. But I wouldn't go into it expecting that from my me- recollection. Okay. What I will say is that first off, the way that it starts off, I think is a really interesting. Mm hmm and appropriate place to pick up with those same characters with Bill Murray okay. being a literal like talk show host. Like that's what he did. <laughs> um, where, where okay, that makes, that makes sense. Winston and Ray are doing uh, kids birthday parties. You know, they're, t- I, I have bits, I have memories of some of these. <laughs> yeah. I remember the go, I remember the birthday parties and they remember them having the boom box with the theme song yeah. and doing the well, dance. And, and you shit. know that I think I mentioned this to you, so I'm sure it's not a surprise. The kid at that party that says, my dad says you guys are full of crap. Mm-hmm. That is Ivan Reitman's son. Oh yes, we have who, talked who about is that. directing uh, the new, not only directing the Ghostbusters, but then also the way he says, "My dad says you guys are full of crap." Is funny that his father is in actuality the director Ivan Reitman. Yeah, and that that's it. that kid Jason Reitman. He, yes, he went on to uh, make some really fantastic films. Himself. Yeah, we t- we talked about it last week with Thank You for Smoking. Right. Oh, I forgot that that was him. Yeah, he made so just for those of you who don't know, Jason Reitman, Ivan Reitman's son, he made Thank You for Smoking, Juno, Up in the Air, Young Adult. That's a fantastic four movie run. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I, I think that I I also can't think about Ghostbusters, the first film, while excluding the rest of the content like it's all mixed up into one big and, pot and that's for me. fair it's it, it's it's ghostbusters for you is what star wars is for other people yeah. where it's more than just one standalone right. film um where um you know so i i get that i get that and i think in terms of the vankman being a lead versus it being more of an ensemble cast mm-hmm. i think watching the second film would 
shift you a bit more in that direction. So while it's, again, I don't think you're going to be like, oh, Vankman really turned around in this one. Um, mm -hmm. I think it would de-emphasize him within the mm -hmm. scope of the universe. Yeah, and I, I just, I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, uh, Josephine. She's been on previous episodes. Yeah. She was on our audition episode, and she, she... She said she likes Ghostbusters. Doesn't seem like she loves it, uh, but like she always got frustrated playing it as a kid because she never had a character to be. They always made her be the the secretary or whatever. <laughs> um, and um, she, we were we were talking about, and she said from her perspective, we were having a whole conversation about why I didn't like it, and she was like, "Well, from my perspective," um, and uh, she's like, um, "Think about a lot of the movies that were coming out at the time." And she's like, think about uh, Sigourney Weaver's character where she is kind of headstrong. She tries to push away, she pushes away Bill Murray and she defies all of his creepy advances. And she's, she goes on this long rant about how uh, informative her character is. And I goes, yeah, but the entire movie undo undoes that by Bill Murray kissing her in the end. She goes, that didn't happen. And I send her a screenshot <laughs> of right where it says directed by Ivan Reitman. She goes, oh. It's during the credits. But I, I would challenge that a little bit or, or inject another perspective into it. I'll say that. Um, Bill uh, Vankman is a sleaze. No denying mm -hmm. that. Sigourney Weaver's character is strong, independent, sees through his bullshit. Mm -hmm. I would argue that she doesn't fall victim to Vankman's sleaziness. But because she sees through it and decides on her own that it... I, I think a lot of the issues with that, that dynamic come in... in uh, we're, we're talking about power dynamics, right? Mm -hmm. where, where the sleaziness is, is an issue with the man having more power or, or applying pressure um, through an uneven power dynamic. Where I mm -hmm. think Sigourney Weaver is not... I, I would argue she has more power than Vankman. And I think that line of thinking is supported in the second film. Um, because she she's with somebody else for part of it. Um, I don't think she is ever a victim of Vankman's steez. I think she chooses to be with him for other reasons. She's She's wants to be with him despite the steeziness. <laughs> now, again, is the steeziness still an issue? Absolutely. But I think it is important that she is as as strong, independent. She is the one making the decision to be in that relationship. I get, and that's all extremely fair. I guess I just, I would have liked a maybe just another scene of her seeing through his bolt because like every scene we see with them together other than maybe the scene when he visits her outside of her outside of the orchestra and they talk a little bit about you know zool and whatever gozer and all these fucking made-up words um um <laughs> uh, like he's he's a little more real with her, and that's I guess we I wish that we would have just gotten a little bit more because uh, like almost every scene other than exclude maybe excluding that one, he's just full force in his I'm gonna get with this woman, and I I I, I maybe I would have bought it a little bit more if I if we could have had a scene of her scene through it because the way it comes off is 
you're a skis. I don't really like you very much, but you saved me in the end, and now we're going to get together. Sure. That's the way it comes off to me. Yeah. And and it my my pauses at the moment are more me trying to sort out what happens in the first film versus what happens in the franchise as a whole. You know, I'm trying to okay, this scene that's th- fair. This scene that happened, was that in the second film or in the first film or in so like in the comic book or something? Um Yeah. Because it does all blend and together like, for me. And I feel like I should also restate too that I'm not like trying to make you think that or anyone listening that it's that I'm over here like uh trying to say like this is an abomination to cinema or anything crazy like that. It's just for my tastes, I, I feel like it could have I, I, I feel like the structure could have been a little stronger. I I can see it, it wasn't the way the way it's always talked about as being a comedy. People always make it seem like it's gonna be like this laugh out loud like laugh riot, and it's it's a very subtle film in terms of its comedy. So I just I just didn't find it all that funny myself. So because I wasn't laughing throughout it, and I was I was very, made very aware of the uh, of just pacing and structure issues. I spent more time thinking about it because I wasn't able to lose myself in the world like yeah. other people thankfully can i can sometimes ignore or or just not see other issues if i'm kind of lost in it but this one i i was struggling you know our our supposed funniest character turned me off on the first scene where he's supposed to establish how funny he is and so like i'm not saying this film is a terrible movie and i can completely understand why people really like it and i feel like if i would have seen it at a formative age i'd probably really like it too I'm just. I just. I hope everyone listening can kind of see where I'm coming from and not just be like, "It's Ghostbusters. Get over it." <laughs> well, you're. You're never going. I keep saying that because yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that comment. <laughs> well, it, and you know, we can very easily shift into a conversation about the answer the call film from here. Like, you're never gonna convince an asshole not to act like an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But and, and I, I think. Say too, I think this is an extremely important conversation to have. And this, I, an episode on Ghostbusters is much more important discussing this than talking about like, oh, I thought that line was really funny. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, screw the haters. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm kind of and, a hater no, in this and case. but Screw the haters about hating and praise the haters. <laughs> No, it's it, I. I think this is a valuable conversation, and it's and it's, it's one of those things too. It's like if you know if someone's be like, "Hey, you want to watch Ghostbusters?" I'm not gonna be like, "Well, here's my three part essay about why I think we shouldn't." You know, like, yeah, let's watch Ghostbusters. It's fine. You know, it's just you know for me, it's never gonna be that film where like it's a rainy Sunday afternoon and I want a feel good movie. Ghostbusters is just not gonna be that. For yeah, me. I would like to do not a full episode, but maybe a Patreon edition mini episode where you watch ghostbusters 2 mm-hmm. just to see if it changes any of your perspective on the franchise as a whole do you want to do it together or should it just be something i record on i would own? love to do that together okay well then we will plan for that and uh, and if the answer is nope i still feel the exact same way i would love to hear that and have that converse- conversation also it's it's just it's just another hour and twelve minutes of me complaining about Bill Murray. That's okay. I would love to have that conversation. 
And it's it's a shame because, like I said, I like Bill Murray. I I think What About Bob is one of my favorite movies he's been in. I think Scrooged is phenomenal. Yeah. But like the, and he's he's actually a worse character yes. in Scrooge. Yeah. But he learned something. Yes. Yeah, that he learned something. Absolutely. So, uh, so I guess let's talk about Ghostbusters. 2016 or as it's um well i'll just read my little intro so and since we knew we were going to potentially be talking about ghostbusters uh the remake i wanted to just do a little bit of reading about it um so we're going to play the trailer for ghostbusters answer the call just in case you guys aren't familiar <laughs> with what we were talking about but i i felt like i should introduce the remake based around a very similar plot of scientists losing their jobs after proving the existence of ghosts the film would take this plot and gender swap the characters on top of the on top of that, the filmmakers would update the humor, add new effects, and speak of topical social issues that helped inspire legions of young girls say, "Hey, I want to be a Ghostbusters too." The film took on a uh, took on a lot of controversy from online fans of the original feeling a gender swapped remake was unnecessary, and the film suffered financially because of uh, because of which, despite the pretty positive reviews, it was pretty pretty mixed. But I think Rotten Tomatoes has it seventy four percent positive. Uh, Ghostbusters 2016, or as it has later been dubbed, Ghostbusters Answer the Call, was directed by Paul Feig. Feig? Feig? Uh, Feig? I, I don't know. I always say Paul Feig, but I... Paul Feig, that sounds good. But I have no basis for that. Paul Feig, uh, Paul Feig from a script written by himself and comedy writer Katie Dipwood. Film was wonderfully shot by Wes Anderson's go-to cinematographer Robert Yeoman and featured a score by Theodore Shapiro. It stars Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon, Leslie Jones, and Chris Hemsworth. Also worth mentioning that all the living stars from the original film would come and make a cameo. Roll the trailer! It, woo! <laughs> Apparition. That's okay. She seems peaceful. My name is Erin Gilbert, doctor of particle physics. At <laughs> that stuff went everywhere, by the way, in every crack. Very hard to wash off. We have dedicated our whole lives to studying the paranormal. Now there's sightings all over the city. There are people out there that need our help. Holtzman, you're a brilliant engineer. Erin, ah! no one's better at quantum physics than you. We can provide a real service. I'm joining the club. You guys are really smart about this science stuff, but I know New York. And I can borrow a car from my uncle. <laughs> uh, you didn't disclose that the vehicle was going to be a hearse. It's a Cadillac! Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh. Did you want to? Sorry. sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. Okay. Someone is creating a device that amplifies paranormal activity. And we might be the only ones who can stop it. Holtzman, come on. The hat is too much, right? Is it the wig or the hat? There's a bigger picture at hand here. These ghosts can possess the human form.
the devil is a liar? Get out of my friend, ghost! Ow, that's gonna leave a mark. The power of pain compels you! Ow! Woo, woo, woo. Okay, back to the movie. So, Ghostbusters answer the call. I don't know how much we're gonna we're gonna end up talking about, but um, I remember we went on a rant originally when the movie came out. Yeah. One, both saying that we both enjoyed the film, and that the online backlash was extremely fucking stupid. Yeah. I, I will say after rewatching the film, I I'm not like in love with it. I don't think it's like this is what Ghostbusters needs to be. I still have my issues with it, and still has some structure and plot issues. But I think it does actually do a bit better some of the issues that I had with the original film. Yeah. So uh, what I will say, though, I love whenever I read online and people are like, I don't hate the new Ghostbusters because it's women. I just don't think it's not funny. The humor is exactly the yeah. same as every yeah. other comedy. If you were to put Seth Rogen in this movie, people would be fucking dying. Absolutely. I think um, for, to to dust off, uh, you know... Uh, <laughs> political phrase um the the haters especially the ones that were bitching about this before the film even came out they're on the wrong side of history like it mm-hmm. is they went in and we've talked about expectations and how expectations mm-hmm. affect your viewing of things i there are plenty and and there's an overall disdain for for remakes from a lot of people like, why are you needing yeah. to dust that off? And that's a separate conversation for me. Mm-hmm. Because this one was clearly gender-specific. Yeah. Um, and and was a lot hotter because of that. The film was funny. I would argue, like, because, we, you know, when you were... Ghostbusters was clearly a comedy. In part. Yeah. I never saw it as a comedy, which is probably why I thought it was funnier. In, you know, talking about going... It sounds like part of your expectations of the film was going in to watch a comedy and therefore yeah. I found the jokes lacking where I went in to it not thinking of... I've never thought about it as a comedy, though it clearly is. Yeah. And I thought it was funnier than, you know, than your reaction to it. And I so I think... Mm-hmm. I think Answer the Call is funnier. Uh, yeah. Just from a joke analysis perspective, um, I love all of those actors, um, mm-hmm. particularly Kristen Wiig, um, but they're all amazing. And it was really the dialogue was sharp. It was the characters were funny. Um, if I had any complaints, it's that it too closely modeled the original film's formula. I would have liked to have seen a, yeah. a little... It's the same issue that I had with Star Wars Episode... I gotta do the math. Seven. Where it's like, oh, we're gonna blow up the Death Star again. Like, okay, mm-hmm. we get it. <laughs> Let's go do something else yeah. now. Um, yeah. But it wasn't... It it wasn't off-putting for me. It, it was kind of expected. Um, and And I have yet to hear an argument... From people that didn't like us, that that passionately didn't like that film, that convinced me that it was anything but. How dare you take something I love and put girls in it? Yeah, like even and if actually, they I... even if they start out the argument with I don't hate it because girls were in it, then they 
go on to explain exactly why that's the reason why they hate it. Yeah, there. Like I had someone one time try to tell me, it's like, well, I didn't. Uh, just the the story wasn't very good. Oh, you mean the same story from <laughs> the first Ghostbusters? And like I said, I actually think that the answer to the call, it does some things better and some things not as well. Where I think it does better is I think it gives us a little more time to get to know these characters. This feels like an ensemble. Yeah. Like the way that you thought Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters were, where it wasn't, you know, the original Ghostbusters, it goes from, okay, you know, here's our science jobs. Oh, we went to go see a ghost at the the library. Oh, we're out of jobs. <laughs> we get a little bit of time with them being not only worried about that. We get an, we get a little time with them figuring out what their relationship to each other. I think Kristen Wiig actually plays a pretty decent skeptic in this, where she doesn't expect to find anything and then does. We get a little time. Bef- we get some time with them before they lose their jobs, and then I also like because one of my big things like so. In the original Ghostbusters, they're scientists, but none of them do anything that makes me feel like they're all that smart. <laughs> like, other than maybe Egon. Like, we have a character here that is actively inventing shit for them to use. Like, okay, I can buy that. that it didn't take much for me to believe that. You know, they don't just show up with proton packs and be like, well, here's these things that we got. I don't know where we got them from, but we have them. I also think, uh, uh, first time I watched this movie, I almost died from laughter watching Chris Hemsworth in this film. Oh my his, God. his introductory scene with the with the glasses, <laughs> where uh, uh, just I don't have to clean them. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just he he is so fucking funny in this movie. Hey, here we go. Let me just get to my notes. Um, okay. All right. First off, I just want to say, you know, we should probably start with a very important question that. We're asking all of the applicants, um, you know, are you seeing uh, anyone right now? <clears throat> um, seeing anyone? Yeah, just for business purposes. Business purposes only. I'm seeing all three of you <laughs> in front of me. <laughs> oh, just forget she even asked, because if she did, that would be illegal. So. Forgotten. <laughs> uh, Jillian Holtzman, Radio Times. Uh, what have you been doing with your whole life? Great question. Oh well, um, lots of different jobs. Um, I did the um, did the actor thing. Uh, oh, worked just for. Gonna, just real quick, um, can I ask why no no glass? Oh uh, yeah, they just kept getting dirty, so I took them out. That's... Don't have to clean them anymore. Oh can just... boy, I gotta I gotta yeah. try to keep that in mind. Would it be okay if I bring my cat to work sometimes? Uh, he has major anxiety problems. You know what? I I would love to let your cat live here with you, but I have a pretty severe cat allergy. Oh, I don't have a cat. He's a dog. His name's my cat. Your, your dog's name is my cat? And Mike Hat. Your dog's name is Mike, last name Hat. Well, his full name is Michael Hat. I can't say that I'm allergic to dogs, so... Yeah, that's all right. He lives with my mum. Well, then we have that figured out. Uh, but, like, they're all likable. And even this film, they, they introduce their version of, of Ernie Hudson later in the film, but she felt like she had a purpose. Yeah. She wasn't introduced as late, um, so like, but like, where I don't think it does it as well is I feel like, and some of that could be because because we, we did spend so much time with them at the beginning, when it when it I feel like it, at one point they just snap their fingers and they're automatically like, well, someone's doing this occult stuff. They keep saying them or they or he, and we don't need know who the bad guy is yet. I'm <laughs> like, wait, what, what the fuck did that happen? And. Uh, you know, I think the, the the lead villain of Rowan North... I don't think the villain in either movie is all that good, to be honest with you. 
Um, but I bought the one in the original Ghostbusters a little bit more than this occultist who wants to raise ghosts and everything. Yeah. So uh, I feel I feel like the the handling of the villain was probably. Um, I thought the villain was more interesting in this one in terms of like he had motivation, but I thought the way it was handled was better than the original. I of of the three films, I felt that the villain was best in Ghostbusters two, with Vito the Carpathian. A little bit I remember. A little bit I remember about it. I, I'd have to agree with you. Um, so I guess the way I'd put it is I think the first... Bill Murray would disagree because Bill Murray thinks the first 20 minutes of Ghostbusters is the best comedy that those th- couple actors have ever done. And he doesn't comment... He doesn't compliment him. He doesn't comment on his own films very often. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take that as being he believes that. I think the first two acts are better in Answer the Call and the th- maybe the last half of... The original Ghostbusters to the third act is probably better in the original. Yeah. That's just me. It's so hard to... Especially when you get into other directors and other interpretations of things. Like, I don't... I I, I think I'm too in love with the material... All of the material across the entire franchise. Like, adding in the TV shows and the, and the comics and the video games and the board games. Um, that I couldn't rate them i and i have no real desire to like for me they're all pieces of the same puzzle so i guess that that for me that's and i and like i said i i can see your um your your perspective on that where it's like it's more for you it's more than just the one thing yeah um so but like uh what did you think of answer the call because you are a big ghost yeah fan. no i loved it um I took my daughter to see it in the movie theater. I think she was like six at the time. And I had so much fun with her watching that film. Um, she really loved it. Uh, the little mini jump stairs got us both and then we'd laugh to it. Mm-hmm. It was so freaking cute. Um, but then just beyond that, I thought it was a beautiful addition to a world that I can't get enough of. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I felt something for the characters yeah. in answer the call. Where, I, and almost in the original Ghostbusters, is like, well, of course they saved the day. There was no other option but to save the day. Like, <laughs> I, I, there was the never day. a moment. Save I, there was never. The day. <laughs> I, that one might be in too. <laughs> there was never a moment in the original Ghostbusters where I was like, oh, they're gonna fail. But I felt that in the new one. You know, so, something interesting that I've thought about in both the video games and board game interpretations is just how little danger there really is in this concept. Like, there's so little... It feels threatening. When you watch it, you feel the tension and the drama, but, like, there's no real risk to that. Like, what are they going to do? Get scared real bad? Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, yes, there's the, like this big epic evil that we need to stop but they never really they never really demonstrate what power that actually is and it's interesting in like in the video games i played the one for um is it we maybe it came out in that era mm-hmm. um i love that video game i thought it was a i thought it was the best possible version of like putting yourself into a Ghostbuster and versus, you know, a side scrolling, like just shoot them up. Um, and the worst thing that happens is all four of you get like knocked out at the same time. Yeah. But you're not hurt 
Like, they're just, you, you get slimed, and then you have to go, like, revive. Like, they're not getting hurt. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same with the, this, like, this board game that I have that, that um, is really, like, they have great minis and things. Like, it, it's about preventing getting slimed and therefore, like, running out of actions to do because you're, like, the slime, like, drains your energy. But there's no real danger. Like, what it's like oh the portal might open and ghosts will flood in it's like okay so ghosts flood in what are they gonna do like drive our taxis (laughs) yeah 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 um which i found interesting because i never thought about it like that until i thought of it from the perspective of the games and video games like i i don't think that it doesn't have the same like actual danger that a lot of these type of films do 100 percent. but it still works for me yeah, so like I, I don't know, I feel like people were went into the film with such a fervor to not like it that they just found reasons not yeah, to they, like it. Yeah, they they chose not to like it right off the bat. Yeah, and you know it can happen when you go like going once again talking about the original Ghostbusters, you go enough expectations and it can it can hurt. Yeah. Um, but like when people say, well, the movie's just not funny, it's like. I don't think that's your issue with it because <laughs> this same type of humor is, you know, in movies that are fucking blowing up in the box office. Right. And I also like I would it it's maybe nitpicky and and subtle, but I would respect more somebody that said I didn't find it funny versus it's not funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like okay, it wasn't your jam, that's fine. No film is going to be everyone's favorite like mm-hmm. um to to definitively say it's not funny well you're just wrong like even even yeah. films that i don't find funny like i know other people do and that's okay like it, that doesn't make it mm-hmm. not funny um so yeah yeah but again i i i think it goes back to most of the people that didn't find it funny in this in this case with this film, I think for the most part they went in ready to not like it, yeah, and there and I that is agree. and that heavily influenced their experience with the film. I completely agree. Um, I don't know what else I have to say because I really have to use the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> you have to and answer the call. For, yeah, for the last about twenty minutes, I've been thinking about that. Um, <laughs> But uh, was there anything else you wanted to talk about with Ghostbusters, Nick, before we wrap up? Not not more than uh, you need to relieve your bladder. So, <laughs> no, I think, um, like I said, I'd, I'd love to get your take on the second Ghostbusters. Um, I think this was a really good conversation. And at the end of the day, like, I don't disagree with anything that you said having had a very different experience with the film and I still love it. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I'm not going to like sit over here and judge you for liking it either. It's like, (laughs) you you know, it's, there's so many other great things you can judge me for. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, uh, I feel, I feel really good about this, this discussion we had. Nice. And, um, I guess we're going to wrap up here. Uh, real quick, I forgot to do it on a previous episode. We do have another Patreon patron, Ooh. Uh, so I want to give a shout yes, out to please. Paul to to Paul Dieter. He's a good friend of mine uh, since we were in high school, and uh, uh, he is going to be getting a personalized episode. Nice. 
cool. and he's picked the film already. Okay. It's a movie called Betty Blue. Okay. Uh, it's actually on the Criterion Collection, so you might have to rent it. Okay. Um, but that was his pick. I'll give you more information about it off the air. But we want to give a shout out to Paul Dieter for joining the Patreon. Thank you very much, Paul. Group, our new shame listener. And for the foreseeable future, the one dollar tier can still get the bonus episodes. Just you know, uh, we all could use a little bit of uh, inexpensive content. So. And uh, I guess to wrap this up, Nick, if you're not down with that, I've got two words for you. You do? I do. Watch Watch movies. (laughs) The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Easton, Maryland, is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers, and is more often than not edited by Michael Byers. Any TV or YouTube versions of the show to date have been edited by Nick Richards, Tyler Hanna, or Dina Volani. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals with narration from Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed, and our new kick-ass logo was designed by Amanda Byers. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors at Mill Creek Entertainment and Vinegar Syndrome. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links to all these tremendous folks, as well as the show, in the description below. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.